Well, now my fire alarm's going off. I don't know if you hear it. <laughs> it's all good. It was, it well, was unless good he's time. burning, for God's sake. Kenny. Yeah, I know. This, this podcast was so hot, guys. We torched the apartment. <laughs> <laughs> This is episode 206 of Bourbon Pursuit. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny, and as usual, a little bit of news. We've announced here on the podcast of all the distilleries on Kentucky having multiple million and billion dollar expansions because the bourbon boom isn't stopping, it's not slowing down. And in 2016, Buffalo Trace began making their progress on its $1.2 billion infrastructure investment. This started off with four new barrel warehouses and a $50 million bottling hall that is now nearing completion. New barrel warehouses AA, BB, C, and D have been built and are filled with barrels that will continue to age, which will eventually fill around 70 million bottles of whiskey. Now, this is all located on what's called Whiskey Farm, which is a 200-acre plot of land adjacent to Buffalo Trace. The fifth new warehouse, E, is taking shape with constructions of numbers six and seven that are be planned for the end of 2019. Each of these warehouses are unique because they are heat cycled during the winter months. Even with its limited stock and having to wait for age to do its thing, Buffalo Trace is committed to not raising prices or diluting proofs to fill more barrels. Last week on the roundtable, we discussed, would you ever drink a marijuana infused bourbon? Well, this show takes it kind of in a whole new direction. You can't discount the impact that marijuana is currently having on states that have legalized recreational use. There's now more research and funding looking at the impacts of marijuana, not only from a medicinal use, but also its economical impact. Of course, liquor industries are curious and they wanna make sure that this isn't gonna hurt their sales, but will it? Who knows? But I'm, I can't be that expert, so we're going to find out from our experts today. So we have David Osgo, the chief economist at the Distilled Spirits Council, and Clay Bush, vice president of Heavy Grass. They join the show to talk from their respective sides of the table. So those for its widespread use and those look at the precautionary look of the potential impact of marijuana on the spirits business. Now, with that, let's hear from our friend Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. My wife held her belly and said, Freddie, it's time. We jumped in the car. I drove 90 miles per hour to the Clark County Memorial Hospital. And nearly 24 hours later, our first son, Oscar Leo, was born. It was a complicated birth, and we chose this hospital because it specialized in natural birth, even though we didn't end up having a natural birth. That's a whole nother story. Why am I telling you this? Because I regret falling for that hospital's marketing plan, as my son does not have Kentucky on his birth certificate. Don't get me wrong, I love Indiana, the people, the food, the cities, but we're Kentuckians. And there's something special about being born and raised in this state. And while I love my home state of Oklahoma, I'm a proud Oklahoma State cowboy, Kentucky embodies a state pride you cannot find anywhere else. It's in every cask of bourbon, horse galloping in the meadows. The state is an amazing state. And when you travel outside these borders, folks look at you as if you know something because you live in Kentucky. If you're bred, born, and raised here, that's like an extra 10 points of cool. I think there's even a t-shirt for that. But for bourbon in particular, being from Kentucky gives you more cachet. And if you're from Bardstown especially, it's as if you were baptized from the holy barrel of Booker and Parker Beam was your godfather. The gravitas is real. And if you ever drank with a Kentuckian in Bardstown, you know why. It's our Mecca, our holy place of American whiskey. And it's important to me that my sons live and love the Kentucky pride. After all, as my wife says, they're the sons of bourbon. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, do you have a cool take on Kentucky? Let me know. I love this state, as you know. I'll retweet it or share it on Instagram. Hit me up, at Fred Minnick. That's at Fred Minnick. Until next week, cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. 
And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. And they're off for another Get 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome back to Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Fred here in attendance today talking about a subject that is, I don't know, it's a little little bit hot, a little bit a uh, little bit tipsy because it is two controlled substances. And figuring out exactly where do the legalities sort of fit in? Where do one compete with one another too? Because this is a this is a, a market after all. And I don't know, Fred. Do you think this is just considered the uh, the all out sin podcast? Well, <laughs> if we had beer, yeah, we would uh, we could be able to throw that on there. And big uh, big beer is not a fan of uh, cannabis growth. Um, and so when we look at when we look at marijuana and American whiskey, there seem to be a lot more compliments than uh, competition. Um, in a lot of cases, uh, you know, from a, con- you know, a lot of consumers do both. And then, you know, the distillers don't seem to be as afraid of um, the introduction of marijuana legally as uh, beer companies do and wine and wineries. Um, but at the same time, you know, here in Kentucky, we still have a lot of uh, dry counties and, you know, in some, in some districts you smoke weed, you're going to the devil. So, <laughs> and, uh, so it, we're, we see a lot of like prohibition era mindsets when it's applied to marijuana. Yeah. I, I typically tend to agree with that. However, the one thing that we have seen within the changing laws of, of, of marijuana is that it's, it's starting to break down barriers a lot faster than uh, probably what you'd see in a lot of things in regards of alcohol too, from California and Colorado and uh, the whole entire nation of Canada is now recreational. So you're, you're starting to see these, these things coming and it's, I think it'll be harder for uh, entities to try to stop slowing its roll because it's a, I guess it's a product that is probably going to eventually make its way out and marijuana in general, recreational marijuana to uh, the vast majority of the United States over the next few years. And that is why we have brought in our guest today to talk about this and what could the potential impact be on bourbon. So we have got David Osgo. David is the chief economist of the Distilled Spirits Council, as well as we have Clay Bush, who is the vice president of Heavy Grass. So gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good, good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. 
Yeah. So, uh, Clay, I'll kind of go with you first. Um, you know, this is a bourbon podcast after all. What's your sort of uh, tie-in with with bourbon? Do you do you drink it? Do you have a few bottles? Is it uh, are you a cocktail guy? What's what's sort of your your avenue? Uh, in a previous in a previous life, um, I actually used to help produce bourbon festivals, which is how I I met Fred. Um, I've always been a traditional Tennessee whiskey Jack Daniels guy, just growing up naturally. And in, in, in college, Jack and Coke was always my go-to. That's how I was introduced to whiskey. Uh, but as I did more shows in, in Kentucky, in Louisville specifically, met da- you know with Danny Wimmer Presents and the festivals that we did there, because I used to be a promoter with Danny Wimmer, uh, we really got to know and educate ourselves in the bourbon. So I'm a bourbon fanatic. Um, I, ha- I had a good collection, but being in California, it's hard to find the good stuff. So it's going, it's, it's, I'm running out, but a uh, big Blanton's fan uh, is probably my go-to. If I, if I could ever like have a, you know, one sip of one thing, Blanton would be my, my go-to. Nice. What about you, David? Do you have a, uh, a particular bourbon that you gravitate towards or anything like that? Oh, gosh, that's always a loaded question when you're talking to someone that works for a trade association. Uh, (laughs) All right, then then, then we'll we'll blanket it somehow. Let let, let me just say there are a lot of really wonderful products out on the market, and I enjoy most of them. (laughs) It was was about as generic as we can get. That's a very good answer. All right, are you running for a Senate in 2022? (laughs) No, but I'd like to keep my job in... uh, 2019. So. <laughs> Although I could, Im- David, I imagine that your um, your plank would be pretty good. You would just be talking about reducing uh, excise taxes and reducing tariffs. I mean, you'd have all kinds of people voting for you with that kind of language. Yeah, well, we are quite popular uh, with a good portion of the public, and we're just hoping to bring the Congress around uh, along as well. So, uh, yeah, we, we've had some tariff issues, but uh, we're hoping to get past them so that the Europeans can enjoy our fine bourbon products. Absolutely. And I think we should also let people get a little bit more familiar with uh, your organizations that you all belong to. So, David, if you could give a little bit of color and background on what is the uh, Distilled Spirits Council? Uh, Sure. The Distilled Spirits Council, we represent uh, uh, most of the large uh, distillers, distillers and importers of distilled spirits in the United States. So that means we represent the suppliers, either the people uh, when it comes to bourbon, the people that are actually making the bourbon, uh, or we also represent scotch, rum, gin, vodka, all, all the distilled spirits, so if it happens to be an import, we'll, we'll represent the importer as well. And we have an organization here in Washington, D.C. We have uh, a public affairs staff. We obviously have uh, a number of government relations people. Uh, we have a science office, general counsel office, and my office is the e- economic and strategic analysis office. So we, we do a lot of economic analysis uh, so we will represent the industry both here in Washington, D.C., but then at the state level as well, where where there's uh, oftentimes a lot going on. And then I don't know if heavy grass really needs an introduction, but I want <laughs> you to do it anyway. Uh, well, heavy grass is a we, we, we like to call ourselves more than just a cannabis company. We're a lifestyle brand. Um, you know, we 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 think we're amplifying to everyone's experience. I mean, cannabis has been amplifying, you know, creativity, um, other experiences throughout history since it's been introduced to the market. So, you know, we are a rock and roll aggressive brand. We are a recreational brand. We do not take a medical stance. We're not here to say we're, our stuff's going to help treat arthritis or, or infl- infl- it's an anti-inflammatory. We're here to say, you know, if you want to go to a concert, smoking a heavy grass product is going to help amplify your experience. But more than anything, we're a community. Uh, we're super serving the rock and roll and metal community. We're all inclusive. Even if you don't consume our products, we want you to be a part of our events and just be a part of everything we're doing. So we're constantly out, especially in Los Angeles, where I'm based and the company's based, and we're we're out uh, helping you know support bands, produ- producing events, um, and 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 activating at other music festivals. But also you know being a being a, a, a an additive and, and amplifying experience for bands in the studio um, when they need that that creativity. Um, or sometimes oh, wait. so so you're that. you're. You're supplying bands with heavy grass as they go into the studio. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Sometimes you're, hey, you need to write a really great solo. And and a lot of times instead of, you know, this is what they use as their outlet to, to get creative and, and they smoke cannabis. But another thing that we utilize cannabis for is the relaxation part where a lot of these guys are, 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 are using it to go to sleep. Like myself, I've been an active cannabis user since I was 12 from Colorado. 
Um, and cannabis has always been my go-to to help relax and go to bed. My mind's constantly racing. I work hard. I was going to school or, or playing football or whatever it was. And cannabis was always that, you know, allowed me to kind of relax and go to bed and, and start my day over. All right. So you, you ha- you're, not a, you're not a medical cannabis, but let's say that I'm a 65-year-old heavy metal fan mm-hmm. and I have glaucoma. Could I enjoy your product at a concert and maybe have some side benefits of the medicine? I'm sure, I'm sure you could, but we're not going to out there basically tell you that this is going to help with glaucoma. If you're smoking cannabis in that realm, we're expecting you to go out. And it's adding to your, you know, I'm a big, we call whiskey and weed pairing. So I constantly like pairing my whiskey with my Jack and Coke if I'm going to a concert. <laughs> um, so it adds to my experience. It creates a different euphoria for me. Um, and, and that's always been a part of my culture and the way I've experienced live music. So I think for a 65 year old heavy metal fans going to an Ozzy Osbourne concert, he's probably has a cannabis alternative that's helping with his glaucoma. And he's a part of our community just to hang out and enjoy the, enjoy the concert with us. So David, you, you heard that side of things and you know, the, the spirits community, you know, is very, very much about drinking responsibly, consuming responsibly. Um, is there a concern from the Distilled Spirits Council, you know, that the, the connection, the combination of, of uh, marijuana and spirits, you know, could lead to a non-responsible experience? Uh, well, obviously, any product can be consumed responsibly and any product can be consumed non-responsibly. Uh, you know, we, you're right, we discourage uh, we, we encourage responsible drinking. Uh, if you think you have a drinking problem or if you think you're going to have a few drinks and drive, we, or we, we discourage that. Uh, Uber is a wonderful lifesaver for a lot of people. So you have a lot of options today uh, in order to keep your, your consumption of anything responsible. Now, Clay, let's go back to something you said. You said you started smoking at 12, now, yeah. that, even by today's standards, that would be pretty well, pretty well illegal. I mean, yeah, I mean, very much illegal. And even in Colorado during that time, it was illegal. I still remember I was, and this is not the way you're supposed to consume and introduce yourself to a product. Just like when you're drinking whiskey for the first time, you're not going to the backyard moonshiner uh, to try it for the first time to get the ultimate experience and really get the benefit, benefits of what you're looking for. I know alcohol is a slippery slope when it comes to that, but cannabis kind of falls into a different category in our eyes. You know, to, to to David's point, we're about healthy consumption as well and, and safe consumption. Um, you know, medical drugs have do not drive warnings on their on their bottles. You know, we have warning labels on ours. The alcohol industry constantly does great advertisements pushing safe 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 uh, consumption and driving and drinking and driving responsibly or calling the Uber like you mentioned. Uh, so so we're 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 just. A little different when it comes because we we pair and and I know when you don't want to pair with alcohol with traditional prescription drugs but I think you know when you look at cannabis and and data kind of kind of kind of shows the story where there isn't really any data show correlating a cannabis consumer to to a death uh, in the history of the product there's plenty of correlations that kind of can bring other products into it especially the prescription drug business uh, the fentanyl and the and, and and like the oxycontins and and the and the different types of opiates. Uh, that's an epidemic, and that's really why um, I think cannabis is kind of coming as an alternative now with the way technology's caught up. People are educating themselves and saying, hey, this may have been a prohibition product for so long because it maybe have messed with so many other categories like the paper industry and the logging industry at the time um, and, 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 and now the prescription drug business. So it's, a, it's an exciting time. It's all about education. That's what we're all about is just educating people on our product. At the same time, we're not a medical, we're not a medical product. Now, to be clear, there have been, um, according to the DEA, there's not there's not reported overdose deaths in marijuana, but there are deaths that are linked to you know uh, overuse and driving. Uh, the Arkansas Department of Health just issued an advisory on cannabis. You know, so there are um, there are some things there where, where overconsumption can be, you know, can be fatal. Um, and there's also some studies that that show that, mar- you know, the use of marijuana at a certain age can, you know, trigger schizophrenia in some people. I mean, um, David, when you see those things and when the spirits industry hears those things and, and they hear the, the discussion of that there's not as, you know, marijuana is not as fatal as alcohol, 
Is there a sense of, I don't know, pushback from the alcohol industry to, you know, that because at the end of the day, a lot of these marijuana, when you're talking up marijuana, they a lot of times push down on spirits. Uh, yeah, I mean, let's be clear. Obviously, impaired driving is a big concern of ours uh, because what tends to happen is right now we have a breathalyzer out there. Breathalyzer technology has been around for, I don't know, 50, 60 years now. In fact, it was the Distilled Spirits Council and some of its predecessors that actually invested the money that developed the original breathalyzer. Uh, what tends to happen now is if, you ha if, you're, if someone is pulled over with a suspicion of uh, DUI, you can do the breathalyzer fairly quickly if they test positive for uh, alcohol, all automatically becomes uh, you know, an alcohol impairment you know, because they simply don't have the ability uh, to test for anything else. But we think that's an important issue uh, from a public policy standpoint, not just from the fact that we don't want to take all the blame for impaired driving uh, if it's not our products that are causing the, the real impairment, uh, but we just think that from a public policy standpoint, you need to know what people are doing. Uh, you need to know uh, in order to – because so much of uh, trying to reduce abusive drinking or, or, or abusive consumption of anything is to know what people are doing, and then you can properly educate them. Uh, so from that standpoint, we, we, need to, we need to know what's causing impairment. Uh, and I, uh, everyone I've talked to that's in the marijuana industry now is, is really on board with that notion. And, you know, they're advocating for research that could develop the, uh, for lack of a better term, marijuana breathalyzer. Well, let's go to something else that Clay brought up because he said he was a big proponent of, of pairing uh, marijuana with whiskey as, a, um, as an enjoyment. Just Where like does chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. Like parents. So, hey, so, you know, it's a good got my coconut, got my chocolate, got my Mary <laughs> marijuana. <laughs> maybe it's a coconut marijuana or maybe it's a coconut chocolate cannabis cookie. Who knows? It could be that too. That's an aggressive cookie. <laughs> <laughs> so where does the Distilled Spirits Council stand on uh, the pairing of spirits and marijuana? Well, right now we... Uh, haven't taken uh, a position really, but in general, we would discourage you, uh, particularly if you're going to be driving from using both products. Uh, you know, ultimately, let's say you're. This, let's just say you're in your apartment all by yourself. You got a little something here, and you got a little something there, um, and they want to pair both of them. Does Does the Distilled Spirits Council have a position on that? Uh, we don't have an official position on that. Uh, you know, we in general discourage the use of both of them. If you think you're you're going to uh, be driving at all, uh, a lot of this is a matter of personal preference. Uh, you know, ultimately, you you have to know what your limits are. Uh, you have to know how you can uh, consume any product uh, responsibly. David, I got another kind of question for you too, because Clay brought up a good point, and you know he he's the proponent of the whiskey and, and spirits pairing. However, you don't see anything out there on the spirits side of the house that are saying like, oh yeah, like we are going to embrace a lot of things that's happening inside of the cannabis world. Um, you don't see. Uh, I'm not even going to put a name out there of uh, saying they're doing this, but should there ever be, or is there is it just bad juju all around to actually have a brand say we're going to try to align themselves with uh, with marijuana? Well, we're still doing a lot of research. I mean, obviously, this is a relatively new field. The federal government has finally started to do more research into impairment levels. Uh, we're going to wait until the science is in before you know, we, we really make any kind of recommendation on that. And, and it's important to note that every everybody reacts to these things differently. Um, you know, the most of the studies that... Most of the studies that are out there, you know, basically have that kind of caveat is that not everyone responds to weed and, and booze the same way. Um, and I kind of want to, I kind of, I, I want to know, you, you'd mentioned you guys are studying this. What, what are you all looking at from a, as a, as a trade organization? 
Well, we're we're not the ones doing the actual research. It's really the the federal government that's that's doing the the research. Uh, so, uh, you know, ultimately, what uh, we hope to find out is, uh, you know, just what the various level impairments are, what level of consumption uh, is safe, what level is, is not safe. Those are the sorts of things that, uh, you know, you're, you ultimately want to look at. And I'll say this too, um, Constellation Brands, which, uh, you know, is a multi-billion dollar company. It has interest in wine, it has interest in beer, and uh, it's been making a heavy play into the American whiskey scene with the purchase of High West, uh, investments in Nelson the Greenbrier and Bardstown Bourbon Company, among others. They have bought stakes in marijuana companies. So that kind of tells you that the writing is on the wall that these spirits brands support this. Now, so let's talk about how this is going to look when they get, when this becomes federally legal, if it becomes federally legal. How will the spirits companies use marijuana in their portfolio? David, I'll give you the first crack at that in terms of what you might think. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, we don't make the buying decisions, the purchasing, the investment decisions for our member companies. Uh, so that's that's really a, a question that, you know, you would want to address to them. Uh you know, certainly it's right funny. Now, I asked several of them to come on, but none of them would come on. They all said you. <laughs> oh, so oh, wonderful. So they they <laughs> they said you talk to you. <laughs> uh, you know, right now, from what we've seen, however, uh, with regard, you know, any company is always going to look for new products to sell, and if a company believes that uh, you know a cannabis-based product will fit into their por- portfolio, whatever it might be. Uh, you know, that's that's ultimately up to them. Uh, we obviously, because we are the Distilled Spirits Council, we concentrate on distilled spirits. So, uh, yeah, very much aware that the uh, uh, that, that Constellation has made a rather large investment. I think it was four billion dollars. Uh, and they're they're looking to develop that that side of their business. Clay, what do you think? What is what does um what does a spirits and marijuana uh, product look like as we see these investments coming in from larger companies? I think it's not even about the current spirits and the current portfolio. I think they're looking at a category and being first to the party uh, before a lot of their co- competitors are and saying, hey, you know, we all kind of fall in the same category, which in the rec category, which is social you know, social gatherings used for social purposes at times, you know, or, or sitting at home to relax. And the wine industry is very similar to how cannabis, some of the cannabis companies are operating, not a heavy grass per se. We, I think we operate more like a whiskey company would. Um, but I think Constellation going in is looking at it as a, we're going to go in and be first to the party where they can own a category and leverage what they already know. I mean, these companies know massive distribution. They know how to market brands. They know how to deal with compliance issues and work, and work about legalities. So I think they're just getting prepared for all 50 states to open up and then it can be really game on for these brands. Um, I think with CBD uh, and the farm bill passing and all these things that are just happening now recently with legislation, I think you're going to see not a lot of uh, infusion products in the spirits industry because they haven't, I don't think they're going to allow that to be legal yet. With I think there needs to be more research done. Uh, to when find infusion, out. do you mean like uh, a cannabis flavored whiskey? You, you don't think that'll happen? Uh, CBD infused whiskey. Um, you, okay. you know, there's ways to do it still. I mean, there's books out there that teaches you how to infuse your whiskey with cannabis or any any spirit or beverage. Um, I, I so, but but I think it's not going to be necessarily that coming first. I think they're going to re- introduce a new product through their through their umbrella somehow, um, which could be different than you know another Constellation wine product. Um, if they so allow, you, you, so you, you think the play is not necessarily to combine the two, but to have a stake in the, in the category as they would anything else. I think these companies know distribution better than anybody and big business like that, especially the tobacco business as well. They're going to come in and put real infrastructure on a mass scale. Once all 50 States open up and Altria just invested on the opposite end on the tobacco side, not to jump around, it's a different conversation they're doing the same thing in Canada as well, getting prepared. Um, we're, it's a very unique time to see those two companies go up there and, and throwing down billions of dollars into the category. Clay, there's a, another kind of thing I, I want you to 
really touch on just a little bit because we are a, really an education program. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that are going across yes, the United we States. On, we, we are on PBS and all these other educational <laughs> funded places. Uh, iTunes, the new home of PBS. Right, the, the, um, but there's like, you know, I walk around downtown. Uh, it could be in Kentucky. You could be in states that aren't legal, yet you see signs that says like, oh, we now carry CBD oils. Yeah. Give people an idea of like what does it stand for and really what is that what is that product versus uh, the the traditional um, you know what people really think what marijuana is. The difference is is basically the psychoactive. Um, CBD has has zero psychoactive properties, so it can be used strictly for the health benefit side of cannabis and the product in, in the cannabis. So you know there's different cannabinoids that go into the plants and different plants out there that do different things and provide different reliefs so the cbd can be extracted and it's not necessarily a smokable i mean you have cbd vape pens out there for people that want to consume it that way but a lot of it's going into topicals creams uh you know more health and wellness side um a cbd uh pill for example can help you stay focused and help with the anti-anxiety at the same time so um but without you feeling like you're quote unquote stoned right um the thc side which is still federally illegal um is the psychoactive side and that's the stuff that makes you feel high so i guess that's the most what easiest way i can deter you know help your audience you know signify the split between the two uh this thc which is still federally legal uh, my company heavy grass is a thc driven company so we, we we go on feeling the effects of using cannabis CBD is the other side where it can help with anti-inflammatory. It's used for more of the health and wellness side and the prescription benefits. And so, you know, you're a, you're, you're a spirits drinker as well. Kind of talk about what you think that your business has had <clears throat> on, do you, and if you think it actually has an impact on the spirits industry as well. I mean, when people have a choice, they're going to go to the store and they're going to see two things on the shelf. Are they going to choose one or the other, or do you think there's still room for for both of these that it's really not going to inhibit any sort of growth? I mean, me personally, I don't think it really inhibits. I, I know that for some people, they'll use cannabis and, and, and only consume cannabis that night, but those people are trying not to drink. So those people already understand. And, and the big thing is understanding, educating ourselves on consumption, which we've talked about a lot. David brought it up. You know, some people know they can't drink whiskey, so they drink clear liquor. And some people can't drink liquor at all. Some people can't drink beer. So, I mean, I think it's understanding how to, how to use it. Some people can't smoke weed and drink whiskey. Um, I think I'm, I, I think I just under, over, over time have learned how to pair it properly without me getting completely blown out of my mind. But it goes back it's to education. It's your Viking genes. As well, <laughs> yeah. No, but it, it goes back to education and understanding, hey, if, you know, and I had, I had to learn the hard way. I'm not going to lie. Just like I had to learn the hard way when I first drank tequila for the first time. I drank too much and I threw up. You know, I smoked too much and I passed out while I was drinking whiskey. So I, I think it goes back to healthy consumption. If you're going to smoke and pair, you're definitely not driving. And we're not trying to advocate for that either. Um, but, we also create a strain of weed that pairs well with whiskey. Our blackjack strain, which for your audience that doesn't know what cannabis looks like, this is what cannabis looks like, um, <laughs> is it pairs well with bourbon and whiskey because it's a spicier flavor when you consume it. And now it pairs well with the oakiness of the barrels. So, so we've pulled a strain out specifically because we understand that our cannabis community is already a member of the whiskey community and they're going to engage with both. So to answer your question, um, I think it's going to be case by case. I think sometimes they're going to go in, they're just going to want to grab a bottle of Blanton's or they're going to go in and say, hey, I'm hanging out with my boys. I want to roll a joint. I'm going to get a, a, an eighth of heavy grass. I'm going to get a bottle of, of, of I don't know, pappies and let's, let's, go, let's go have a good time with my boys tonight and play some cards. All right, David, what yeah. do the numbers say? Because I, yeah. I know that you're, you're in the spreadsheets and the databases. So what, <laughs> what does that look like? Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. 
Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. All right, David, what yeah. do the numbers say? Because I, yeah. I know that you're, you're in the spreadsheets and the databases. So what, what does that look like? Yeah, well, that's a sad commentary on my life, I think. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we obviously, we have followed this with great interest for a number of years now. And we've looked at the three states uh, that have the longest history of recreational legalization, namely Oregon, Washington State, and, of course, Colorado. And in all three of those states, uh, we see no impact on our product. In fact, we took a look at the only way you could really determine what's happening to uh, spirits, beer, or wine volumes, for that matter, is to look at the excise tax collections, because that's really the only source of data that's going to include the entire market. And when we've done that, we see that, well, gee, distilled spirits consumption on a per capita basis since uh, the legalization of recreational marijuana in those three states is up uh, a little bit. And then when we, uh, you know, we've been gaining market share from beer uh, for, God, nine out of nine, the last nine years and probably, I don't know, uh, 15 out of the last 16 or 17, uh, when we look at total beverage alcohol consumption in those states, uh, we see that on a per capita basis, it's either roughly flat or, or up slightly. So there's really just no evidence in those three, three states that marijuana uh, legalization has, has had any impact on us whatsoever. Okay, well, I guess we can just end the podcast now. We got our answers. <laughs> but I like, no. to, but it, but to that point, I like to blame if the beer, I know the craft beer industry is is one of those categories on a national scale. And David, you know a lot more about this than I do. And if that number's falling, I can blame craft beers because they're cannibalizing themselves. You know, they they are, there's too many options out there. There's no brand loyalty. And, and and when you have that, it's it's the wild west, and and it's segmented, and that's just my opinion. But you can probably talk better to that. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, obviously, I have counterparts uh, that do the same thing that I do for the craft beer industry, as well as uh, for uh, regular beer, and they say the same thing that yeah, beer is down, but when we look at the states that have legalized marijuana, where we we don't see results that are any different from states that don't have legalized recreational marijuana. Uh, so as a result, they, they don't tend to really be so concerned. You know, uh, they, they haven't seen any impact from the legalization of marijuana. They, the, the, the results are always the same uh, regardless of whether or not it's legalized or not. So I know that a lot of people claim that marijuana is supposed to have this massive impact on beverage alcohol. Who knows? Maybe one day it will, but you know, again, when you look at uh, the states with the longest history, it, it is not. And, you know, particularly with Colorado, wow, when you look at the yeah, – I mean, could you imagine a product uh, becoming more socially acceptable than marijuana in Colorado right now? Uh, you know, it's uh, – no one has a problem with you using marijuana in Colorado. So, you know, I, I think uh, we're getting some wonderful data from Colorado right now just because – in my mind, it's it's almost a fully developed marijuana market. When you look at the the, the rate of growth and whatnot in uh, retail sales, it's it's declined, or it's not the, the rate of growth is, is slowing fairly dramatically, which is more or less a sign of a developed market. Yep. And you know, pretty clearly, it's it's not had any impact on on beverage alcohol sales. David, kind of another question about that. You know, you had talked about claims and what people say. What are some of those claims that maybe people were worried about that they want you to lobby against to say that marijuana could impact 
their 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 distilled spirits sales? Yeah, well, first off, there has never been an effort, uh, at least on the part of the Distilled Spirits Council, uh, to try to hinder in any way, shape, or form uh, you know, marijuana legalization. We we typically don't take a position on it. Uh, you know, we we do have several. Uh, recommendations, which the marijuana industry agrees with, the you know we want fair taxation. Uh, we'd like to make certain that there are you know we have an advertising code. We advocate for sensible advertising code, and you know we advocate for you know keeping it out of the hands of uh, of younger people. Just really sensible uh, regulations. That to be honest with you, from what I've seen, uh, most of the people advocating for legalized marijuana agree with. So, you know, from that standpoint, we've never, there has never been, uh, I, I know I've, I've heard rumors about big alcohol trying to stop marijuana. Well, I guess you can consider me part of big alcohol and we've never had any such effort. And I haven't heard that either to, to counter that. I've, I haven't heard about big alcohol or really the spirits industry trying to handcuff our growth. It's really been the prescription drug industry handcuffing us in other categories outside. I've heard rumors of certain craft beers and certain big beer business, but it's really, I haven't heard much of it. I've heard it all on the other side, on the prescription drug side. Well, there's been, there were, um, I can't remember the exact story, but it was when Bernie Sanders was running and there, the, uh, there were some distribution companies that were uh, that their emails became public or something like that, and that's that's really where the big alcohol against marijuana came in. Um, had more, you know, David, do you remember that? Uh, you know, I do know that the distributors uh, from time to time have voiced their opinion that, uh, you know, you have a three-tier system for uh, beverage alcohol. Wouldn't it be great to have a three-tier system uh, for marijuana as well. Uh, I think that might be uh, really what you're getting at. And, uh, you know, it's, it's only natural that, you know, they would want a piece of the business. Yeah, I'm trying to find it here. And this was not something that I had uh, um, at the top of my head. Well, while um, you look for that, I'll, I'll throw another question to David, because there's uh, a question that came up in the chat. You know, you talked about, Colorado and how it's been sort of sweeping and it's just part of the culture and it hasn't really had a whole lot of impact on the economics of of spirits themselves. Uh, there was a question that says, but if you if you work for a um, a national company, it could actually prohibit them from utilizing drugs within or sorry marijuana within inside of their state because it's against the corporate drug policy. So how, I have no idea really what the the demographics are of big companies that are based in Colorado or if there's uh, the workforce works for national companies that wouldn't allow that. So, how how accurate do you think that that data really is? And real real quickly, it was a part of the WikiLeaks dump, and um, there was uh, evidence in there that they were trying to undermine marijuana legalization, and it was largely connected to Bernie Sanders's belief in ending prohibition on marijuana. So, yeah, so that is accurate. It was, and it was uh, the. People linked to it was the Wine and Spirits Wholesalers of America. So, go ahead. Now, uh, what was the question again? Uh, about the data accuracy of, of Colorado res- residents. Uh, you know, if if you're a corporation, and particularly if you're operating heavy equipment or, or something of the sort, uh, you know, you have the right to protect yourself. I mean, you're out there, you have a potential huge liability uh, you know, is it right for them to have a zero tolerance policy? Uh, well, you know, that's, that, that's a difficult question. Uh, you know, if, if they are going to be working, if you're going to be working for a company and there's the potential, uh, that, you know, you could pretend, uh, do some sort of physical harm, uh, you know, that that's every corporation's worst nightmare. Uh, no, absolutely. And, and there was another question that came in the chat, and this one is is more more directed at Clay here. And uh, there was it was talking about kind of like experimentation and, and figuring out how are you mixing or infusing. And he said that there is uh, a blueberry weed infused vodka that's out there. 
Um, he's got one that's a, a nightcap that has a relaxing CBD oil in his brandy. Um, do you sort of see this as, as the future of, of what people can experiment with, kind of using their own oils and their own stuff? I don't know um, legally where he could sell that. I mean, it sounds like that's a black market product. I mean, that that's kind of our problem right now is we, we deal with black market where legally you can't buy that market in a store because you can't infuse liquor. Liquor and alcohol have to be in a separate wall with cannabis. We're, we're not allowed to coexist together still. Um, so people are going to do that. There's that You can Google it right now and teach yourself how to make it. Um, you know, you're going to find products out there that are going to hit the market and their stores are going to sell them. Um, you know, we, I live in Venice beach and there's a ton of black market products out here that are just normally sold down the street that are in regular stores, uh, just because it's the part of the culture here. So I think it's until we get a real full legislative kind of structure around it, just like the ABC laws and all that, you're going to have kind of the wild West with us for for the moment uh, until more States open up and the government kind of creates some structure with us. What is that? What is that goal? Uh, to sit there and, and try to move this across more state lines um, for your business or for the industry in general? The goal is education and then the stigma. Um, the problem is you have stoner stigma and the Cheech and Chung moments and all that stuff, which is a, which is a part of it. You know, that's Reefer Madness. Reefer Madness. Madness. That's what I remember. It's funny because our company, we take Reefer Madness and we use that as our advertising campaign. So we've kind of flipped it where, yeah, it's, it's bad, dangerous. Stay away. It's cannabis. It's going to ruin your life. Like, no, it's it, it's education and understanding the, the incredible benefits of the plant, depending on who the user is. And if he's properly educated, he can find a he can find something that may. And, and our battle's never been with the spirits and beer industry, um, at least on my side. Um, our battle's one hundred percent been on the prescription drug side. So, you know, for us, it's just ending the ending the stigma where I can call my homies at, at any of these whiskey companies and saying, hey. Let, let's do an incredible collab together. Let's bring in some artists. Let's do some art. Let's Fred, you know, I'll bring some Fred. Fred comes in and he does a whiskey tasting and, and I can bring a cannabis expert in. And we do a cannabis tasting and collide them. That's the ultimate goal is where these worlds can, can, can collide for me uh, because the whiskey culture, especially in my world, the whiskey culture and the, and the, and the cannabis culture kind of coexist together at all times, just like beer. And, and, and I think there's ways of us helping each other grow through education, but our big problem is stigma. And people thinking that this is, you know, the old, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs commercial. Any questions? Well, I, to Fred's point, smoked weed when I was 12 for the first time, did not become a stoner, went to college, played college football, as I've been on my own since I was 18. Moved from, and it's funny, I'm from Colorado, so I'm a little different. So moved from Colorado to California, so I'm a little bit fortunate in that. And, and, and so it's never fully affected me. It's only helped me control things without me taking a pill. Yeah. I, I will say uh, I was just at a conference in Washington two weeks ago uh, where at least the short-term political goal for the uh, marijuana industry seems to be to uh, get uh, expen- uh, be able to deduct their expenses. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, that's, that's a big concern right now. Uh, also, they, uh, they would really like to get off of uh, marijuana off of Schedule 1. Uh, so that you can it makes it easier to do research, and then it also financially they can start using the banking system. Uh, so they do have a number of uh, short-term political goals. But it goes back to education, and 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 before before these politicians that are kind of driving the ship here, they've got to be educated on the benefits, or we've got to create change. Um, and that's that's where our big handcuff has always been with prescription drug lobbyists and, and that and, and and before then the paper industry and the logging industry because with hemp being legal, you're gonna see a big change in that world very quickly. What do you mean by, by the way that? there's with, with hemp being legal, how what what sort of big changes do you think you can well, see? Well hemp is a very, very strong structure, uh, very similar to what you would get with wood and paper. Um, but it grows faster. It's, it's cheaper to make. It's, it's the, it doesn't take up the same amount of land. Um, it's, it, there's a lot of different usages for it as well. So there's, it doesn't make stronger rope. Can it make your paper? Can it, can it kind of, uh, replace other things that have been big industries in this country for a while that aren't necessarily great for the environment at the same time Hemp provides an alternative to that. And by the way, um, there are uh, hemp bourbons that will be hitting the market soon. MB Roland has uh, 
took the took hemp seeds and added it to a mash bill. And they are resting in their uh, warehouses right now. But the big thing you got to understand is what I was talking about infusion. Hemp and cannabis are not the same thing. Um, they've been declassified. They're, they're separate. And that's where the farm bill allowed this, the, the hemp to come in. David, I think you're about to say something. Uh, no, I was just going to say uh, the hemp does not have the THC in it. So yeah, as a yeah. result, there's no psychoactive properties. So, And it's, uh, not, a, and it's not necessarily CBD either. Um, so it's not coming from that cannabis plant. So it's it's just a different direct. It's just it's different. It's it, and that's where they separated, allowed it to be used in all fifty states now. So Fred, you know, I, I kind of want to get your take on this. You know, we've we've got we've got David's take that it's not going to have any sort of effect in in the broader market. Um, I know that you are well connected to other distilleries and people that have you know they, their financial stake is in is in their their spirits. Have you have you? Talk to any of them, not without naming names or anything like that, where where they could potentially see that this is a, a future risk for their their products. Yes, uh, I know one in particular who is not a uh, Distilled Spirits Council member who is adamantly opposed to the legalization of marijuana based solely on the fact of what he believes it will do to spirits. And this is a this is a, you know a company that will put up a big fight. Uh, when that when the time comes, and we'll do everything it can to block people from infusing marijuana and alcohol, you know, because this is a, um, I would say, a very conservative thinking company that still still looks at uh, the 1930s, you know, saying like, you know, they still try to be, they try to do things that that would you know, that could fly even under in the blue states, you know, so they're overly conservative and fear that, you know, there may be um, regulation put upon them. And, and the fact is, is uh, kind of a lot of what David said, there's still, still more studies to be done. And everything I hear Clay advocating for are things that he would not necessarily, um, I don't, I don't think anybody once once the marijuana is in someone's hand and once the spirit is in someone's hand, you know, that then becomes an individual responsibility. I think what you're going to see the spirits community do is I think you will see a rift between the combination of those two things in a bottle. And that the, the marijuana infused bourbon, the um, you know, marijuana flavored vodkas and stuff, I think that's where you will see. Uh, more of the fight go on within the spirits industry. And and I guess the question for you is, is it really a question of the spirit in general and the category and classification, or is it a pocketbook? Because as as Joe goes to the store to figure out what he wants to do this Friday night, you've you got a, a, a bottle of bourbon or you got an, uh, an eighth of weed. What's, what's, what's the choice? Is, is that what they're really worried about? I, that's a good question. David, go ahead. Uh, you know, I will say, oftentimes when you look at survey data, uh, it indicates that, you know, yes, these uh, cannabis and alcohol are very much substitutes. However, when we've done focus groups uh, and you ask people who are marijuana users about their use of alcohol, oftentimes they're confused by the question because they say, well, you know, cannabis is cannabis, marijuana is marijuana, and alcohol is alcohol. And we use them on different occasions. Now, obviously, there's always going to be some overlap, uh, you know, without a doubt. But I think perhaps the instances of overlap and therefore the the substitutability are a little bit overblown, and you know, they're just not what people uh, actually thought that they were. So you said occasion. So like a three year old's birthday party is that not the uh, occasion yeah, for not Rip and Jays? Where you should be using either one of them, but yeah. <laughs> Clay's like, I don't know about this. <laughs> I, 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 it blows my mind because this is a category. It's the the data's out there. This is this is going to be federally legal at some point. Like it, more of the majority of the states of the union right now are at least in a medicinal state right now. This is going to happen. If I was an alcohol company, just like Constellation's doing. I'd be learning everything I would about it so I can be be the go-to of these cannabis consumers. Um, you know, if there was a brand out there that said, hey, pair your whiskey with us and it competed with my my go-to, I would give it a serious consideration because they're they're connecting with me on a personal level now. And, and to me, that's how you can connect to a consumer. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with that, I think we'll we'll start wrapping up. And Fred, unless you had any other questions that you kind of want to tailor it off, I want to I want to I want to delve into this pairing a little bit more because I think for a lot of people who regularly pair their steaks with bourbon, they're having a hard time figuring out how the hell do you pair smoking some pairing smoking weed with um with whiskey because you smoke, with a, a cigar. You, smoke, you smoke a cigar that's well that's just it a cigar has flavor on the yeah. uh, a cigar has a flavor on the leaf are yeah. you suggesting that you guys have flavor on, have, on the, plant, the-, the plant is a flavor so every you know we all have different unique flavors you have the strains right so the big thing in cannabis right now is we're trying to get away from the whole if you don't know what indica sativa mean you know indica is more of the relaxation kind of put you to sleep strain and the sativa is more of an upbeat creative keep you up uh, uh, thought process control, um, and then you have these hybrid strains, which are more body highs, and they can you know lean one way or the other. But there's flavor profiles in these cannabis strains. So there's le- you know just like when you taste bourbon, Fred, you get tints of cinnamon or or chocolates or something like that. You know we'll we'll get fruity flavors. We'll get taste of orange and citrus and lemons and and blueberries and and because the process of the cloning of these things now. Is there's flavoring starting to go on organically through other things, um, especially when you go into the extraction market, and we're pulling flavors out of the plant that are organically in the plant that make it taste like you know juicy fruit. Now I know that's a problem with you know attaching yourself to a younger audience, but from me being a gum consumer, the only flavor I can cons- consider it, it's a tropical fruit flavor. But those are all natural flavors being pulled out through science. So. Yeah, there is ways of pairing. So one of the reasons we chose our Black Drax strain for heavy grass is one of our first strains is that it has a spicier taste to it, which, like I mentioned earlier, goes really well with with a bourbon on the you know a bourbon neat. Um, and and that was the whole way of I could have a conversation um, with that. There's all other ways. There's flavor rolling papers all day, full of pesticides too. If you really go through it, I mean, Backwoods gets hit with pesticide problems um, in the rolling papers. You know, cannabis, the wonderful thing about cannabis is we are the most controlled industry from from a, from an agricultural standpoint. So there are so many rounds of testing going in and making sure it's clean from the moment it leaves our the wherever it's being grown at uh, to the moment it hits a consumer's hand. So there's not a, a, a barrel broker market for weed at this point, is that what you're trying to say? There's, there's seed, there, everyone's looking for the right strains. I mean, the, this is another, obviously, a, a, someone should write a book on this and there might be one out. But there's these legacy strains, legacy seeds that people are always looking for. And every strain of cannabis that's out right now kind of is derived from, thir- I think it's 13 or 14 original plants. So if you can find one of those plants, it's called Durban, uh, Durban Poison, I think it's what it's called. But, um, you know, everyone's on the hunt for those because those are like legacy strains. So that's our pappy, I guess. Interesting. So, Fred, you know what this means is that you've just got more research to do to figure out if you can start doing these pairings, and you got to be ahead, you got to be ahead of it. So, when Kentucky gets the green light, you're the first one to to capitalize on it. Yeah, I knew you'd say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all it's all research and development. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, with that, gentlemen, I want to say thank you again for joining the show today. This was a, a fun conversation because, like I said, we're we're hitting on all the sins today. And, and being able to, to figure out what what the impact of really what this means, especially to the bourbon consumers out there. And, and I think not even that, maybe the consumers, maybe it's uh, the audience that are the distributors and the distillers out there. And, and they can start taking this as a, a fresh nugget of information on how do they either adapt to the business or do they capitalize on the business, one or the other. So um, with that, uh, Clay, I want you to give an opportunity just to let people know where they can find you either on social media or how to get in contact with you or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, heavy grass, we're, we're, we're on Instagram. I, I think the best thing to go is go to our website, theheavygrass.com. Um, that is our official website. You must be 21 and up center. So please make sure you're only 21 and up. I just like, I think the people listening to this podcast are required, but, uh, you can go there and find everything you can about get, uh, heavy grass. Um, our lifestyle is a different website. It's called get heavy. Dot com. That's where you can really get into the music and everything else we have going on. And then personally, you can always follow me on Instagram. That's where I'm most active at Clay Bush, uh, spelled like the beer, not the president. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and that's how you can keep up with everything. I'm pretty active for everything we do on, on my social. So and where can, is your, is your product available in California, Colorado? Where, where is it available? Right now we're only in Los Angeles. We're a California, Southern California branded company. 
We're going to be here. If you, if you really want to get to know us, you got to come out to us and, and come to one of our stores in Los Angeles. If you come out, take you to a show. It's a fantastic whiskey bar called Seven Grand down here. We do our own pairings and we have a good time. Fantastic. Yes. We'll put that on the TripAdvisor reviews. All right. And David, go ahead. If there's uh, any way that people either want to get in contact with you or, or just learn more about the Distilled Spirits Council. Sure. You can find us at our website. It's the distilledspiritscouncil.org. And uh, there's information on there as to how to contact us and you know, just send an email to our, our public affairs department. And they'll be happy to get in touch with me. Thank you, everybody, for, for joining in. We had uh, a few people here on the chat giving some, some information. We had uh, some people that were joining us for the live. That's one of the great aspects of joining our Patreon community is that you can get early access to all these podcasts and everything else that we're doing before then. But make sure you're also following us on social at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Bourbon Pursuit, as well as also follow Fred Minnick on all those channels. And I'll let Fred plug everything because his list is uh, never ending of all, everything that he's doing. He's the busiest man I've ever met, by the way. I, just <laughs> I don't know about that. Listen, I, I've worked with these festival promoters, and they, I don't know how they sleep because they always are putting out fires. So I would not compare what I do the least bit to anybody who promotes a music festival. Uh, but you can find me on Amazon Prime. My show is Bourbon Up. I've got a YouTube series now called uh, The Curation Desk. Go subscribe to my magazine, Bourbon Plus. Find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Just search my name. Fred Minnick. Awesome. And with that, we'll see everybody next week.